Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not being discussed at the water cooler. Hey, Liz. Hey, Kat. I am beyond excited for our guest today. Uh, For me, this is kind of personal. I came across Sarah Noel Wilson on Twitter, where Fate put her tweet about teaching companies how to work with neurodiverse people in my feed. Having a child with ADHD myself, this immediately brought me to tears as I was so incredibly grateful that the world had people like Sarah paving the way for my daughter, as one of my biggest goals in life is to prepare her for the world at large. I was amazed that there were people like Sarah preparing the world for her. And I tweeted as such and was surrounded by such love. It was amazing. And since that day, I've devoured Sarah's blog and learned so much. Call me a super fan, but I'm so honored to welcome you, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here, but I'm also honored to join you on that sacred journey with your daughter. Thank you. It's quite the journey. (laughs) Well, welcome, Sarah. We're really, really happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Kat. I can't wait for our conversation tonight. Well, welcome to the show, Sarah. I've been looking forward to this all week to be able to talk to you. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So a little bit about myself uh, on a personal level is I've, uh, I live in Iowa with my husband and two dogs. And so for those of you who maybe haven't visited Iowa, no, we're not Idaho and we're not Ohio and we don't do potatoes. That's usually what people say like, oh, Idaho, no, Iowa. But I, I own my own leadership coaching and consulting company. I've been on my own with my own company for uh, not quite two years now, but I've been doing the work in some capacity for a number of years. And I'm just really passionate about helping people have more honest and connected relationships with themselves and more honest and connected relationships with other people. And um, I lovingly say I want to rid the world of uh, crappy managers. And so that's the work that I want to do. Amen. (laughs) It's one of our goals here too. (laughs) So I love how you said the connection piece. Like, how do you believe connecting people to themselves then connects them to management? And like, why are good people crappy managers? Mm, Yeah, because when I talk about getting rid of them, I don't mean firing them. I just mean calling forth their greatness, right? Because we promote a lot of people who have the potential and have the skills to be amazing leaders, but we don't, you know, give them the resources. We don't support them. We don't give them the time to focus on that. Now, there are some people who we promote who we shouldn't be promoting just because they're technical. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the thing. When I think about leadership, formal leadership, people who are in formal mm-hmm. positions of authority. So I just want to differentiate that because I, I think leadership isn't a role, but a verb. Um, Leaders of people have a huge ability to impact how people feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you when you have self-awareness, when you are clear about what's important to you as a person, it makes it easier for you to support somebody else in their journey to find the same. So well said. That's beautiful. So I love how when you're doing your trainings and if people look at your website, you make it fun and you're really mm. got a lot of whimsy. Like it's not like we are in leadership training. <laughs> you know, it, it's We've fun. turned to page 12 of your manual. <laughs> Let's be clear. I don't have pages on my hands. I forget them. <laughs> oh, good. But, you know, it's not like we're going to watch the PowerPoint on how to be a good leader, snore, snore, snore. How did you get into leadership training? Like how did this passion come about and and how did you find your space? Oh, 
<laughs> That's a fun story. So my undergraduate degree was in theater performance and theater education. How fun. Yeah, I grew up with a dad who was a union truck driver and a mom who stayed at home. So I did not have exposure to corporate world in the traditional sense mm-hmm. until I did what any good person who lives in Des Moines, and that was I got a job in insurance. So <laughs> after I graduated from theater, I decided to chase a boy. Fortunately, it worked out. We've been married 12 years mm-hmm. And quickly started to realize, I mean, a couple of things. So realize from a theatrical perspective, it's all about self-awareness. It's about connecting with yourself. It's about having these higher levels of emotional intelligence and connecting with other people in real and meaningful ways. And um, when I got into the corporate world, I just realized there was a lot of surface level relationships and connections. Also, my degree was in theater education, which wasn't teaching theater, but using theater as an educational tool. So how can we use drama? How can we use, and we call it creative drama in the adult learnings, you know, we would call it interactive learning or experiential learning. Mm -hmm. And so I quickly discovered that I wondered and I got curious if I could apply my education background into the insurance world. And that's actually how I got my start in leadership development. And first it started from a technical perspective, but I became really fascinated by the dynamic of the good leaders versus the ones who weren't as effective and what role could I play in helping them be more effective. And I made the decision that if I was going to work with leaders, then I needed to lead. So I took some time, you know, I've really focused on leading teams for a number of years. I got my master's in leadership development. I studied as much as I could. And then I was fortunate to move into a a job at a company called ROG, which is a legal insurance company. And I oversaw the leadership development efforts for about six years, where we just did some incredibly progressive stuff when it comes to leadership development. And, um, and so that's, that's a little bit about my journey. And, you know, and when you talk about my playfulness, that's a core value of mine. And I call it purpose. <laughs> it's a word that I've created. Um, and that's play with purpose. A lot of the work that I do and that I'm passionate about is about helping people explore and dig into the tough stuff. Mm-hmm. The hard stuff, the uncomfortable moments, the vulnerable situations. And what mm-hmm. I have found is that sometimes when we approach it with a little bit of playfulness, it can make it less scary for us to dig into it. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm currently working on on my first book, which is all about how do we deal with the elephant in the room? And it's called Don't Feed the Elephant. Mm-hmm. So I've created these, you know, elephants we create, like the avoid fit or the imagine-a-fit or the, you know, nudge fit And so just give language in a playful way, I find is a powerful mm-hmm. learning tool. But it also makes it readable, you know, or you go through it and you're learning and it's fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and here's the thing, like somebody saying, I was working with a group recently and I was introducing some of these concepts and she came up to me afterwards. She said, Sarah, I've been carrying around a bag of peanuts and just feeding elephants everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't realize how much I was avoiding. And I don't know if she would have had the courage um, or or would have been comfortable to share it in that way otherwise, because that's a pretty vulnerable thing to say. I avoid conflict. And I avoid it all the time. But giving her that playful language made it easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's so not uncommon. If we get to an uncomfortable topic, sometimes people freeze up. So I love that you're bringing some playfulness yeah. into this work because I think, yeah. you know, leadership development can be kind of dry without a little bit of humor. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it also wakes up the brain. Humor goes a long way to engaging mm-hmm. people Absolutely. as well when used, when used effectively. <laughs> right, right. 
Okay. Say that. <laughs> so, so I want to know back in back in the day in insurance, like you start off, I'm guessing, in some kind of low level, entry level insurance. Yeah. Role. How, what was your career arc to say, wait, I'm not going to be in this cube job. I'm going to go into leadership and training. Like, how did you make that jump for yourself? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that cube job because literally in my first interview for this insurance company, they asked me, "Do you think you can sit still in a cubicle?" Mm. And I said, I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> right. So the move happened fairly quickly. I never knew about training. I didn't know that as a career. Um, I actually got introduced to leadership development during my summers when I was in high school and college because I was a counselor and then a director of a summer camp for at-risk kids. And we had a ropes course. And so uh. I would help facilitate ropes course uh, sessions mm-hmm. for leaders around town. And I remember at 18, 19 going, can you make a living doing this? Is this like, can you do this and help people, you know, talk about things? And I'm, you know, I'm, (laughs) I probably made up a lot of stuff back then when I was leading groups together, but so I'll try to shorten it up. But I realized real quickly that the level of training that we were getting from a technical perspective just wasn't very effective. It was taking a long time. And I just kept asking myself, I wonder how I could apply my technical or my theater experience to making this more interesting. So within six months, I had the opportunity to start training people. And I was able mm-hmm. to shorten the training time pretty significantly. And then I just started taking risks and running team building activities. And you know, if we had a meeting, I would ask them if I could do a little activity. And so that's what got them exposed to me bringing in different skill sets ironic, I moved into a technical writer position, which when we talk about my ADHD brain, it's really ironic. Um, and I was the one writing detailed manuals. And so I had the opportunity to to play and to practice this. This was a company, I mean, keep in mind that some of this time was during 2008, the financial crisis. Uh-huh. So a lot of the training staff had been cut. Uh-huh. And, and I just naturally found myself hold to that and saying yes to whatever opportunities I could to get there. And it's funny because when I look back, I was actually passed over for three different training positions. Oh, wow. And so it's a little satisfying on a personal level, you know, you know, I'm like the Michael Jordan of training. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I think when you have success though, after some obstacles, it just makes the success even sweeter, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and truthfully, that company, they didn't know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. You know, they even told me, they're like, we know you have these skills, we just don't know how to leverage them. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, when I left that company and moved to a full-time leadership development role, my boss at the time said, you know, I've always thought of you when I think about Einstein's quote, which is, everyone's a genius. If you judge a fish by the way it climbs a tree, it will spend its whole life thinking it's, a, you know, stupid. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm really excited for you to find your pond. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So I don't know if that answered your question, actually. Yeah. But, okay. Totally. Because we talk a lot about careers and career paths. Yeah. You clearly made a leap into a better pond. Anyway, yeah. you clearly made a leap. And so sometimes people get stuck at that point where they want to leap and don't know how they don't know how to get out of the proverbial cubicle. And yeah. so I love when we have guests that they can tell a story of how they did it. When I was passed over for a training, I found myself, like I think a lot of people early in their career, feeling like it was my manager's job to develop me, mm. right? And I was so fortunate to have a coworker smack me up the the head a little bit metaphorically and say, you're giving your boss a lot of power over your career. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? And that's what led me to find mentors. That's what introduced me to the master's program I got. That's mm-hmm. what led me to seek out leadership opportunities. That moment of me moving from my manager is responsible for my career to I'm responsible for my career. 
or at Amen. least my development. Yeah. That was a big, that was a big moment. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's not everyone's meant to be a CEO, but we're all CEO of our own career, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, we're the only ones that can do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, focus on leadership. Yeah. We would love to know what are the good qualities? What are the traits of a good leader? And maybe share with us, you know, maybe one of the best leaders you've ever worked with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and again, you know, I go back to, I don't think leadership is a role. I love the quote. I think it's Ronald, Ronald Heifetz. He's a Harvard professor. And I think it was him who said, leadership is something some of us do some of the time. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that having a title doesn't make you a leader. That just gives you authority. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when, when I think about great leaders of people, so I'll, I'll specify that, right? You mm-hmm. know, to, to be mm-hmm. a good leader in an organization, you have to be good with processes and products, but you also have to be good with people. So in my space and my passion is in the people world, as I know is both of yours. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's understanding that who you're supporting is a human, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of times I'll work with, you know, people who will say things like, I just remove the emotion from it. Like, well, how's that working out for you? You know, like, yeah. so for me, I could go on and on from a standpoint of what I think makes really great leaders, but I think it's pretty simple. Are they authentic? Are they empathetic? Do they care about me? Do they care about what's important to me? Do they help me see something bigger in myself than I can see? I think great leaders are ones who are not afraid to say they don't know. Mm-hmm. We feel like when we get promoted, we have to be all knowing, but the really great leaders are the ones who say, you know, I don't know, or I'm struggling with this too. Let's figure it out. And also I think really great leaders work to become irrelevant so that they can go on and do something else, something different, and that the people can step into that role and um, expand their potential. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great quality of a leader. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, you know, when I think about when was the time when I personally worked for a great leader, I would say it was my leadership team at ROG. I, I had the opportunity to work for a director of HR and a chief HR officer who were compassionate, but candid, who pushed me. But also, we all held the belief that development was about developing the whole person and not just the role. Mm-hmm. And so they walked the talk of what we were trying to do from a development perspective. And, and, and it was also one of incredible mutual respect. It was it not, you know, it's almost like we were peers. It just so happened that their job, their responsibilities was just to make sure I got my job done. Mm-hmm. I love that. So many important qualities there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's funny because it's, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. Right. Like I can't help you if you don't care. And, and I, I'll tell people that if you do not care about the people you serve, you should not be in a leadership position. Because mm-hmm. you will not do good by them. You yeah. just won't. Well, it's like the golden rule is so simple. It's ridiculous, but treat others how you want to be treated. Like, would I want someone to berate me in front of other people? No. So I'm not going to do it to others. Like, mm-hmm. treat if someone comes to you on your team that has a massive problem, how would you feel coming to your boss with that massive problem? You can put yourself in their shoes a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and I think, I think what you're hitting to, too, is part of what also makes a great leader is somebody who's self-aware. And what I mean by that is, right, like they have a high sense of knowing themselves, knowing what's important to them, but they're also really clear about their gaps. And so, you know, most leaders, you know, if we use the Mm -hmm. example you shared of berating, most people who maybe do that don't realize that's what they're doing. Right. Because they're just, you know, focused on their intentions instead of the impact that they actually have. And so the great leaders, I think, are always asking themselves, what can I do to get even like even better? 
yeah. instead of I've got it all figured out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Self-aware and conscientious. A, an yeah. amazing combo. Mm-hmm. So we're going to switch a little bit. And, you know, you mentioned how I love that Einstein quote of like a bird can't swim in a pond really well or, you know, yeah, or fish or whatever. A fish, a bird, they're not doing the same thing. It just doesn't That's really what they're supposed to be doing. No. no. And I mean, I think about neurodiversity issues all the time. And, you know, through my daughter's in seventh grade and we have been through it and we've been at a couple different schools and I've realized how schools and, and workplaces, because my job is to prepare her for the world, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're not set up to support neurodiverse people. I mean, schools set them up for failure. I truly believe that in, unless you get some really special teacher. You know, I used to have people say to me like, oh, she'll just have an admin when she's older. I'm like, yeah, what new grad has their own admin? I mean, I'm going to be under her desk, right? And it, it always drove me crazy. I think about these things and how we support people throughout both childhood. Of course, I think about that a lot, but also in adulthood and yeah. in the workplace. And so can you talk to some of the ways neurodiverse people can help themselves and succeed both in conventional learning and work environments and some maybe some tools that work for you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to give some context to my experience, mm-hmm. um, just to to play this out. Because truthfully, I I wasn't always aware of this. You know, I was a team team lead, and I had a team member who was diagnosed with ADHD. And when he came on board, he would talk about it. We would talk about accommodations. Now, this has been, you know, over ten years ago, mm-hmm. and I, and I remember at the time having some classic thoughts mm-hmm. of focus. Well, just, you know, like not understanding it, you know, so I thought I was being open and supportive, but if I'm being really honest with myself, I had some judgments and, you know, and didn't support him in the way because I didn't understand it. Right. And so, so my journey from a neurodiversity was I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until last year with, you know, it was about a couple of weeks as I was making the transition to go on my own full time. Mm -hmm. And that's when this whole world opened up. And part of what my journey was is how it emerged, because obviously you have ADHD your whole life. You don't develop into it. Mm-hmm. I had it. It just got masked because I was high performing or I had really good structures in place. Mm-hmm. So when I was going on my own, I lost all my guardrails. Right. <laughs> my brain was like, I don't know how to do all of this. Yeah. It's different being an entrepreneur where you're oh, running yeah. everything, right? There's so many details yeah. and... It's a huge challenge. Responsible for everything. And so, and actually my therapist, who's amazing, and I'm very pro-therapy, she said most adults that she sees and diagnoses um, are typically people who have started their own business. And she says usually within the first two to three years, they come in and they go, I don't know what's wrong with me and why I can't manage all of this. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's not an uncommon mm-hmm. phase because you lose the guardrails of work and the accountability mm-hmm. of the boss and the structure of the Monday through Friday, eight to five, yep. you know, schedule. So that's just a little bit of context. And, you know, because I can't speak to the experience of being autistic, I can't speak to the experience mm-hmm. of having threats or some of the other mm-hmm. facings, if you will, that mm-hmm. show up in the neurodiverse world. So, from a standpoint of how people can show up for themselves. You know, one of the things that was transformative for me was just one realizing that my brain was just different. It wasn't worse. Um, In fact, the only reason I'm a neurodiverse is because my brain doesn't quite fit what our society and our culture wants. You know, if you look at great inventors, Leonardo da Vinci, he clearly had ADHD. I mean, most of his projects were half finished. (laughs) 
right. Um, Mozart was like, so I think that's the first place is to recognize that my brain and how it's different isn't bad. It's just going to struggle because of culturally what I'm expected to do and how I'm expected to show up. And I think that's important for people who are maybe diagnosed with something and are Mm -hmm. finding themselves in a similar spot to mine. Because Mm -hmm. my experience is, and I've heard this from countless others, and you maybe have seen this in your own daughter, Liz, is Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shame that can come when you deal with challenges like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Shame in why can't I do this? Why can't I just focus? Why can't, what's wrong with me? Why, why do I keep, for, you know, forgetting people? For me, that's a huge problem is I don't remember names. And, and that's not like in a little, oh, no one remembers names, but like, I don't remember faces a lot because my short-term memory is so bad mm-hmm. that it takes a while for it to get into my long-term memory. So that's my first thing is just realize your brain isn't bad. It's just different. And so to that point, it's really important for people to listen to and create what I call their own manual. So Mm -hmm. I call it the Sarah manual. Mm -hmm. And what that means is paying attention and, and experimenting and trying to figure out what do I need and to be unapologetic about that. So for example, so I have to do proposals. If I work with a client, I have to send a proposal out. I can't explain why, but those are super draining to me and they feel like a mountain to climb when I have to fill it out, right? And what I know is that if I can do certain tasks with someone else and not even with them, but if we're just having breakfast together, if we're socializing, that that can help me stay focused in a way to get it done. So for me, I'm unapologetic. And my team member and I, every morning, eight to nine, that's our proposal time. And so instead of me beating myself up that I can't Mm -hmm. do it other times, I just set that boundary that that's what works for my brain. So that's Mm -hmm. where we're going to do it. For some people, um, Mm -hmm. they need to listen to music in order to stay focused. Mm -hmm. So from an ADHD perspective, Mm -hmm. that's not uncommon. So you can remove distractions. So Mm -hmm. I listen to music specifically I like Christmas music. I like Disney uh, theme park music, classic music. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also an app that I like to use, which is called Forest. It's a time focus app and you can set different time lengths. And what it does is when you set it on your phone, like if you say, I want to stay focused for 15 minutes, a little tree starts to grow. And when I go on my phone to be distracted, my tree starts dying. <laughs> And so that's been an effective tool when I just want to be able to hold focus for a short Mm -hmm. amount of time. So I think that the the biggest thing for anyone who's listening to this for themselves or for other people is to just start to experiment and then be unapologetic about this is what I need in order to be successful Mm -hmm. to do the work that I was meant. I think that is such smart advice Mm -hmm. because we are not the same. I mean, sometimes it feels like we're living in this cookie cutter world and People have different needs and being clear on what your needs are. First, there's the clarity and then there's the bravery, right? To be brave enough to say, this is what I need. Yeah, yeah. And in my coaching practice, I find, you know, people, you ask them what they need and, you know, many people cannot say what they need right away. They have to give some thought to that. So, yeah, yeah, no, I love what you're hitting on is that, you know, first you're right. You have to have the clarity. And I think for me, the clarity comes from experimenting. Yeah. You know, okay. You know, I can't tell you how many years when I was working for a traditional company that my development goal was developing my, my project planning skills. <laughs> that should have been the first clue. <laughs> right. Yes, I can learn tips and techniques, but some of those approaches just aren't going to work for my brain. Mm-hmm. And that's not even neurodiverse thing. I think, you know, to your point, Kat, we're all different. Mm-hmm. We all will show up at our best 
with different resources and different mm-hmm. support. And so imagine, imagine what the world would be like if we listened to ourselves, if we had the space where we could advocate for ourselves, where people could support what we need, what would be possible? Mm-hmm. Or where we were given the ability to figure that out as part of our own development. And yeah. for those people who have executive functioning, specifically around executive functioning issues or lapses, that they don't get slammed. You know, like hindsight is everything. You think of the kid in school that was super smart, but got bad grades and hung out under the stairs. And you're like, Mm -hmm. they were so smart, but they probably had some executive functioning challenges and just felt like they could never be successful. Isn't that sad that our society lost that kid? Yeah. What are we missing out on? Because we're not listening to, understanding, and supporting the whole of what the person brings to the table. Mm -hmm. It Mm. drives me bonkers. This is a topic that I think we could go on and on and on about. Mm -hmm. Uh, An effective strategy for me is going to be different than an effective strategy for you, Mm -hmm. Liz, and different for you, Sarah. And I think that, you know, accepting that and knowing that that's okay is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But since we're a career podcast and, and realizing that there isn't an inclusive list, what type of careers do you see neurodiverse people being more successful in? What are some of the pitfalls and what should they be on the lookout for? Yeah, it's an interesting and loaded question. And again, when I talk, and, and I want to be clear, when I talk about neurodiversity, I can only speak to the ADHD experience, right. particularly my experience, because again, I don't have experience with being on the spectrum. Right. I think for, I mean, first and foremost, you know, we know, we know that typically, if somebody is having some ADHD tendencies, right, that part of it is going to show up in a couple of different ways of potentially struggling with inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, Mm -hmm. having an environment that has good structure, like structure is really good for the ADHD brain. Mm -hmm. So having an environment with structure, but also has the novelty to be able to change tasks and the flexibility to be able to do tasks that are in the wheelhouse of the work that you get hyper-focused on. Because that's that's a confusion. I mean, just to make that point of clarification, it's interesting that it's called attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. It's not a deficit. It's actually, it's a regulation issue. Yeah. So it's, you know, whereas a neurotypical brain can regulate on a scale of say one to 10, depending on the task, mm-hmm. we have like zero and 15, mm-hmm. like there's no in between. It's either there's, it's a struggle or it's hyper-focused right. and I can kill it when I'm in hyper-focus yeah. mode. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's specific careers to me. I think about environments. Is it in an environment where things are perhaps moving quickly? Is, are there opportunities to do different types of work? I always said at my last job, I'm the person you want to bring in to build and create, not the person to maintain, right? Mm-hmm. right? If you want somebody to maintain the program, that's not me because that's going to be draining and de-energizing mm-hmm. for me. But if I can continue to create and try and experiment and innovate, mm-hmm. I'm your girl. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know the other thing is, is to realize that Part of it is just in alignment, again, from the ADHD perspective, it's in alignment with what are your interests and what, when do you get that hyper-focus? Mm-hmm. You know, for example, my brother gets hyper-focused when it comes to music. My other brother gets hyper-focused when it comes to computers. So he's in a very traditional IT, mm-hmm. you know, he, he oversees an IT department, mm-hmm. um, also struggles with ADHD, mm-hmm. but he's able to function in that because that's actually where his brain lights up at. So some of it is understanding what careers... Um, allow you to lean into your super strength of hyper-focus. And I would say that probably across the spectrum, I can't speak to it either, but across the spectrum, you have 
the areas of hyperfocus, right? You know, I worked with children in my early career and I had a child with autism in my class who was all about maps and subways. Mm, mm. And like that kid knew, you could just show him a map of subway system. He knew what city was amazing, right? Not to say that that was going to be his area of focus for lifetime, but there's a career there within that area of Mm hyper-focus for the adult version of that small child. So I think part of it is on the person to find what interests them and then to do the research around or help someone help them if they're not capable of that, whatever, to find that area that they are going to, as you said, hyper-focus on. Because if they take the boring ticker tape job, that's not probably going to go as well. Yeah. They'll, no. they'll, you know, they might be able to do it okay, but they're, yeah. they're likely going to, it's going to be a struggle. So for example, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of my jobs, again, they didn't know what to do with me. They're like, you're so talented and you have so much to offer and we want you to lead people. And, you know, they put me in charge of a quality team. <laughs> and, uh, which is, again, really ironic. Like, I'm not, you don't want me proofing anything. But it's not <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, it, and it's not that I couldn't do it. I absolutely could. But it was exhausting and I was often making mistakes at a level that was um, maybe not as in service of the organization. Yeah. So what are some questions that you would recommend people asking? You know, we're, we're, we're kind of talking through the yeah. career journey. Like what questions does someone ask to say, is this right for me? Uh, especially around these sort of issues. Yeah. The challenges. Mm-hmm. I, and here's, here's what we know. We know you can't be discriminated against Mm-mm. for having right. Uh, different challenges or diagnoses. You know, it's interesting. So I, again, I wasn't diagnosed until I was making the transition to being on my own. So I don't have that knowledge. Although when I told my boss, my old boss, I was, when I was diagnosed with that, she was like, are you surprised? I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> right. And, you know, and then, you know, connected to that, I mean, I'll take it, I'll expand it beyond just neurodiversity and mental health, right? So yeah. six years ago, I was diagnosed with panic disorder, which means I was having a repeated series of panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And again, I was in a really safe space. I was already but I can't imagine bringing that up in an interview simply because so many people don't understand mental health. So many mm-hmm. people don't understand the challenges of those of us who have neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. And I chew on this question a little bit about what questions you ask in an interview, because mm-hmm. the reality is, is you don't know if you bringing it up actually will work against you. It's mm-hmm. a conversation almost that you need to have around the interview. Who do you know who works there, who can yeah. give you insight into mm-hmm. how open and how you know flexible or understanding they are. But certainly if you get the job, that's when you have the conversation because you've removed mm-hmm. any potential that somebody doesn't hire you because they think you can't do the job. Because let's face it, my, I mean, my experience is pretty consistently is that unless you've personally experienced it, and even sometimes if you have, if you haven't done the research, you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily understand what it means to be on the spectrum or to have ADHD or to struggle with the mental health stuff. And there's so many prevailing myths and like misunderstandings that, you know, when I was diagnosed with panic disorder and when I finally shared it, my boss, I love her. But she would say things like, well, just don't panic about this. <laughs> That's so helpful. There's nothing more helpful. You. Not helpful. <laughs> and two, I, this isn't what triggers it. What yeah. triggers it? So the reality is, as well-intended and as 
as caring and loving as people are, they're largely misinformed Mm -hmm. around some of these challenges that people have. And so I think that, and now I think once you get into it, once you have the job, you know, again, it depends on who you report to. Can you have the, I mean, certainly legally you are right. You are legally able to ask for accommodations and they have to make a certain level of accommodations for sure. And you should advocate for that. I hate to hesitate in saying it's a balance because Mm -hmm. There are some leaders I worked for in the past that knowing what I know now, I don't think it would have served me to share with them my diagnosis. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And that was probably more the case than not. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard because like my kid will sometimes, you know, she'll get her work done, forgets to hand it in. Yeah. Yeah. Kills me as a person who gets her stuff done and hands it in but I don't understand it like I don't I'd love to get it but I don't and so when I apply that same thing in the workplace of like you said it'd be done Tuesday it's Tuesday why you know and I can see where someone would get written up in performance reviews and like all kinds I mean real work related and some somewhat legit slaps on the hand when if someone had said it's due tomorrow, you know, had reminded them of the deliverable or done something around it, maybe that they would have gotten it in or just gone to their desk and said, Hey, I didn't see it on my inbox. So now I'll send it. It's it's really back to what you said earlier, Sarah, about knowing who you are and what your needs are and creating effective strategies that work for you. Mm -hmm. So as a relatively new business owner, right, you've been doing this for how long now? Yes, I I did it on the side, right? I moonlit. Mm-hmm. For, for about 10 years. Okay. And then I've been doing it full time. So I went on my own full time February 1, 2018. And I went from it being just me to now having a full team. Okay. In less than two years. That's amazing. Wow. That's, that's congratulations. First okay. of all, there's so many moving pieces with businesses. And I think that <laughs> people, people who haven't owned a business don't, we, we don't know what we don't know until we're in it. Right. Oh, yeah. right, so right. There, there's so many different hats that you have to wear as a head of a business, you know, whatever the title is. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned the 9am proposal meetings. Yeah. Can you share some other tools that have worked for you that help you with effective strategies that help you run your business? Yeah, for sure. Well, literally the day that I got diagnosed, I came home and said, I need to have an assistant. Mm -hmm. Like I had just started and I I knew I wouldn't be able to be successful if I didn't have somebody who had a different functioning brain than me. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was number one was to surround myself with people who can complement my skills and to be really intentional about that. But I understand not everyone has that opportunity, you know, to your point, Liz, your daughter's not going to have an assistant who's hanging out with her in college to help her work through some of those things. So there's, there's a number of different things. I mean, one is from a process perspective, looking at how we can automate as much as we can so we can minimize the manual touch points Mm -hmm. that, you know, me having to send a proposal, then having to send a contract and then signing the contract. So a a company we actually just moved to is called 17 Hats. And it's this beautiful, all-inclusive program that once you get the workflow set up, it automates sending the email, the proposal. And then once they read the proposal, it sends the contract. And so it's all automated. So we've worked really hard to make some of those um, efficiencies. You know, this seems really simple and small, but, you know, one of the things when I first started is I would be taking notes and notebooks and, you know, <laughs> would change notebooks. And then I'm like, where the heck was that conversation at? <laughs> and so, I, you know, I started to set rules. I'm not going to talk to a client unless I have my Surface tablet where I can take notes. So it's all in the same place. You know, we have, we also have a concept. So one of the challenges I have is that uh, prioritization can be really difficult. It's, you know, if I 
walk into a room, a storage room that needs to be organized, my brain literally doesn't know where to focus. And part of that challenge is because um, the ADHD brain can't always see and visualize the finish. Mm -hmm. So it becomes really overwhelming. And so, you know, what my husband does and my team has adopted this now is when I'm overwhelmed, um, they'll hyper-focus me. Like they'll put me on, hey, Sarah, we just need you to focus on this one or two things because otherwise I see all 20 tasks and then I become paralyzed by it. So that's been really helpful. And there's a concept that my colleague um, at Drake University, Chris Wildermuth and I came up with, which is called, we call it the lead goose. And, and I think this is just such a lovely, beautiful practice that I wish more of us would do in our life. And so if you think about a, a, a V of geese, flying, right? Mm -hmm. There's always a lead goose who's taking Mm -hmm. the lead. Mm -hmm. And at some point that lead goose gets tired or overwhelmed and they naturally move back into the V and another goose without, right? They're not negotiating. Mm -hmm. They just step in. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes as, as humans, and certainly I know I have those moments where I just need a lead goose. And so sometimes if I'm struggling or if I'm overwhelmed, I'll just put out a message to my team and say, hey, I'm having a lead goose moment. I need somebody to step in and just help take over this. Either I'm physically or mentally exhausted. And we all just do that for each other. Mm -hmm. And we all go back and forth in those moments. And so that's the practice we've adopted. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's me to them, (laughs) right? Because I'm having to balance higher number of balls in the air. But that's the way that we've structured it. Is your team an in-person team or a virtual team, Sarah? It's both. Yeah. So I have somebody who's on point for client relationship management and business development. I have somebody who helps support me from a social media perspective. She's virtual. I have somebody who is, well, I should, I'll I'll give names. I should, I want to honor who they are. So Rachel's out in Oregon. She's my social media person who helps me organize that. You know, and that's a good example too. I have content. I want to share content, but I will forget to post. And so she and I will do a big brain dump on Monday and go, here's all the things I'm chewing on. Here's what I'm reading about. Here's what I'm thinking about. And then she just organizes it in schedule and sets it to release. And sometimes she'll help me craft the statements because Mm -hmm. maybe I struggle a little bit with how to word things. Mm -hmm. Um, Kristen is my client relationship management and business development colleague. Teresa helps with operations and is moving more into a research position, which I'm excited about to have another person helping with research. We just brought on Elisa and she's a young, she's a student from Drake and um, she's our administrative assistant, but she also has a background or she's studying marketing and data Mm -hmm. analytics. Katie helps with some design stuff. And then memory is a coach that takes on clients and works with clients when I can. Nice. Yeah. Shout out to the team. Yay. Yay team. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. They're amazing. And here's the other thing I would say, you know, because what I hope is, I mean, we've been talking a lot about what the person who who's has the challenges can do, but I think it's really, really, it's, I think it's even more important that the people who don't have the challenges take the time to understand it and create the environment where it's safe to talk about these things. We as a group, we talk about our challenges. We value mental health. We value, we, we have a space where if somebody goes, my depression's been really kicking in. They can share that with us and we don't try to fix them. We don't try to tell them to look at the bright side of life. We all know how to be with each other mm-hmm. when we're having these challenges. And again, I find myself often thinking, what would be possible if more people experience that, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. at work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. I love that the blog post, I, I think it was Rachel who wrote it. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is my world. I'm like, oh my God, that's my world. And her <laughs> world like, that 
is my world. And I, I do feel like your blog tackles topics around leadership and workplaces so seamlessly. And your curiosity is engaging. So how does it feel to be so exposed and raw? It sounds like you're that way with your team, but you're that way in your blog. You're really, you put it all out there. Um, how does that feel for you? I, I'm, you know, I, I appreciate that question. It's now I'm just on a mission to encourage and inspire to be authentic, people to be authentic and vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. I was just working with a group today and we were doing an exercise and I was telling a story and part of my story, I got unexpectedly emotional mm-hmm. and I went, oh, I have a choice now. I can button up and clean myself up or I can allow the quiver to turn into what it needs to. And it ended up being this really powerful learning moment. So it's, you know, it's funny when we first started the blog, my facilitation has always been very honest, very vulnerable. But when we first started the blog, it was, what what do we, what should we do? Mm-hmm. We should write about these serious technical leadership topics because that's what people do. And we're, we're going to write three topics every week was way too ambitious. <laughs> and literally the, the shift into it becoming more personal and raw was because I was like, I don't know what to write about, but here's what's on my mind. So we're just going to do that. And what was interesting is that the response to those more personal ones was through the roof. Like it was the the emails I would get, the people who would reach out to me directly, the open rates changed. And so that we moved away from what we thought we should do. Mm And to what we wanted, like what was important and meaningful for us. I, I had a, my financial advisor actually was teasing me in the beginning. He was like, you're really putting it all out there. Like, yeah, if I can't ask them to put it all out there, if I'm not willing to put it all out there, I can't ask Mm -hmm. you to take a risk. If I'm not willing to take a risk, I can't ask you to be curious if I'm not willing to be curious. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that especially from, uh, you know, an, or a workplace, we, I mean, well, I mean, let's face it, we know that leadership somewhat as we know, it hasn't changed for over a hundred years. It right. was created back in the, right, the industrial age. It was created to, to, for efficiency and effectiveness. It was, it was modeled after managing machines and humans aren't, we're not machines. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, well, you can tell I'm getting passionate. Like we're humans and how do we create a workplace for humans? Mm-hmm. And that means part that means hurt. That means healing. Mm-hmm. That means humor. I'm going with all these H's now, yeah. right? So for me, I actually find it really liberating to be so raw and vulnerable. Um, because if somebody's going to judge me for that, that's on them, not on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. I think as, you know, all three of us in our own businesses and are doing it our way. And, you know, when you hire Liz Bronson Consulting, like, guess who you get? You know? yeah. <laughs> and so it better be authentic and real. Mm-hmm. You end up with this, if you don't like me, don't hire me kind of attitude. Yeah. And yes, some of that comes with the freedom that if you don't have to take every client, but, but like, if you don't like how I do it, please. We shouldn't work together because I'm not yeah. going to fit into whatever mold you want me to be. Yeah, and absolutely. No, I will say, right? If somebody's a jerk, yeah, then I would challenge that authenticity, right? right. Like that—that that may not be serving you, right? But you're right. Yeah, putting it all out there is just kind of almost challenging. Like, you want this? Then hire me. I'm awesome, but you're going to get this. Yeah. And so there's no, there's no questioning. There's no question mark. You don't have to worry about hiding, which is a whole other dynamic, right? This mm-hmm. is this is what you see is what you get. And mm-hmm. I mean, when I talk to clients, it's like, I'm not for everyone. 
Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a fit, but it's gotta be a fit both ways. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. I love that you said that cat, right? Cause it's, you know, I'm always, and I'll tell clients, I said, you need to figure out if I'm right for you, but I want it to be very clear. I'm trying to figure out if you're right for me. <laughs> right. Because I don't need to, you know, like I, I'm not going to take you on if I don't think we're a right fit together because it's not going to be effective. That's right. And it does take an uh, amount of, of courage. Now, I've been really fortunate to have been rewarded mm-hmm. for my honesty, to have been rewarded for my vulnerability. So, mm-hmm. you know, the conversation might be different if that wasn't the case. So I, I recognize that Yeah, that's not a small part of me continuing to show up in, 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 in as real of a way as I can mm-hmm. is that. I have been rewarded for it yeah. personally and professionally. And um, yeah. I love that. Awesome. This has been a fascinating conversation. And I think we could probably go on for hours and hours. And unfortunately, we don't have time to do that tonight. But tell us where people can find you and plug yourself a little bit about the work sure. that you do and how, how folks can find you. Because it's just just on this, this short conversation we had, I'm so fascinated. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, a quick way to describe the work we do and how we do it. I lovingly say we're the company you come to when your training has failed. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that if your training has failed, it's, and I think training's good. I want to be very clear, but if your training has failed, that tells me you don't have a how to problem. You have a why do problem. And that is really digging in and understanding the patterns of why you do what you do that are actually getting in the way. And we have to understand that deeper level before we can talk about the how to. And so that's the work that we do. So you can connect with me on my website, www.saranolwilson.com. I'll spell it out because I'm a fast talker. S-A-R-A-H-N-O-L-L-W-I-L-S-O-N. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. We have, as you mentioned, a weekly newsletter. We have videos that we did last year. And I'm really excited. Next year, we'll be bringing our Manager Minute videos back. So we'll be doing a whole new series of those. And, you know, and for me, who are the right clients? They're the leaders who might be great at processes, recognize they have a problem with the people, but they want to figure that out. And I'll help you figure that out and make sure that you're not walking alone as you do the hard work of Mm -hmm. of figuring that out. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you. Times a billion for joining us. We have loved having you and it's fascinating. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, please. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, we'll have to do this again sometime. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beaks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a tech reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. <laughs>